We're talking about biblical biology. So this is the idea of God has created all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We, we looked at that two weeks ago, um, and we, 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 we discussed what that really means in this first verse, that God was in the process of creating. I want to look at the word created here in this first verse. The word created is to create, to cause to come into being from thought or imagination. So we know that God created everything by the word of his mouth. He created it out of his head, out of nothing. He created all things. We know that something, material matter, came from somewhere because it just can't generate itself from nowhere. We know that it is come from somewhere because it is going to end and scientists know that the whole of the universe is running down it's not expanding and keeping on going it's actually like a clock winding down so we know it came from and they say to us it came from a big bang when it all began um we don't i'm not worried about the idea of a big bang i think it was quite a large bang when jesus spoke it into being it definitely wasn't chaotic it came out with order and, and arrangement and design when he spoke it into being and if you want to call that a big bang yeah that's when it started that would have been a big bang if you're sitting there beside god when he said it when he spoke the world into place but i don't believe in the theory of the big bang i believe that god spoke it and he created it he caused to come out of his thought and out of his imagination it came from the mind of god and he spoke it into being uh, he shaped it and he formed it so to speak in genesis 1:16 we get another word that is used in the creation account and it's god made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and he made the stars also so he the word made is an interesting word it said to do to fashion to accomplish to make to press and to squeeze they they use this work to actually um to squeeze clay in your hand so in a sense god made all of the stars he put them in place he spoke them into being with his mouth and he made them Another word in the second, uh, the second chapter of Genesis, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That word formed is to form, to fashion, to frame, to form and to fashion. And it talks about human activity and also divine activity. So there's this idea of forming. It's got this idea of clay, molding a piece of clay or forming a piece of clay. This is idea of being made. So he's created, he's made, he's formed with his mouth and with his words, creation as we know it. So we see things that are different between natural activity and creative activity. This idea that um, life can come into being through just uh, some sort of accident or some sort of um, evolutionary process stands against this whole idea of natural um, um, activity. Natural activity does not tend to form as God forms. We see natural activity as one thing and spiritual or creative activity is something completely different. Here's natural activity. Here's a beautiful picture of uh, sandblasted rocks with some water and a bit of uh, driftwood there. This is a product. It's beautiful a product of wind, of water and heat, the action of elements of nature over a period of time. The same sort of thing happens here. You see wind blowing, it's over a period of time, this is a formation, it's sort of 
sporadic. It's no, no design on it. It's just you can see that it's been affected by the elements. Heat produces volcanic eruption. It tumbles down to the sea. There's the cooling of the water and the, and the thing, and you get elements, the rocks being formed by that whole process. It's sort of like a, a, a sporadic thing. There's no um, real design involved in that whole thing. That's natural activity. And when you're looking out in space, scientists look for signs of intelligent activity because they're looking for something aliens out of space you know they say well we can see natural activity we can see where a meteor has hit the moon we can see where there's a crater we can see how the storms on mars are producing uh, you know ripples over the face of the earth they can see natural activity what they can't see is divine activity and here's a product Something that has been made and been formed and been created. It's a product, a creative, purposeful, intelligent design, an activity of mind and thought. You look at that dragonfly and you say, everything has been thought about. The shape of its wings, how its wings are going to be fashioned, you know, the color that it will hold, you know, the purpose, the way it will breathe, the way it will interact with society, how the role that it will play. It's all been formed, it's been fashioned, it's been thought about. You look at the the uh, lupins, when we were going to New Zealand, we had fields and fields of lupins. They just didn't naturally uh, sprout into being, and so they just burst into, into, into space. Uh, they used to believe that life was sort of generated um, sort of out of nothing naturally. You know, in the old days, they believed you, know, you put a piece of meat down, and, and it seemed like out of nowhere... Maggots would come. They see, see maggots just came out of nowhere. They formed because life just generates itself like that. It's just automatic generation of life without anything. Until Louis Pasteur actually discovered and did some testing and said, you know, you put a lid over it and the maggots don't actually come into it. It's only when the flies come on in. They put dead flies in with, no, no, maggots don't come from dead flies. Only maggots come from live flies. And they discovered, you know, that maggots are actually a product of the fly. The fly actually lays maggots. And then the whole theory of, of spontaneous generation started to fall apart for them. That life could spontaneously generate just out of nothing, a lupin would grow. No, the lupin doesn't do that. When you go around New Zealand, you look at the fields of lupin, you know that they've been created. God has made them. They have a creative, purposeful, intelligent design about them. They're very beautiful and there are fields and fields of them. And you can sit in awe and wonder at God because of the way he created the lupin. You can look at that bird and you say, well, how did that spontaneously generate itself? Look at the colors on that bird. And I could have put dozens and dozens of shots of birds up there and shown you just how beautiful these things are. It's almost as if they have been designed and painted by God. He's taken that moment and said, now I'm going to make a little hummingbird, but I'm going to make it different to all the other hummingbirds. I'm going to put a purple collar around its neck and make it look so beautiful. Its tail is going to have this color on it. This is what I'm going to do. A product of design, divine activity. So you see, natural activity has one shape and form and divine activity has a completely different shape and form. The difference between the natural and the spiritual worlds are wrapped up in those similarities. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 41 to 45. He says, There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. And another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another in its glory. So Paul has sat there and he's looked at the heavens 
And God said to him, look at the differences in glory, the glory, the outshining of stars. He could see some were twinkling blue and some were twinkling red, or he could see that the moon just had a steady glow. It wasn't like the sun. And he, he said, you know, these things are natural, and he says, and they're different. So there are differences in terms of natural things. And then he, he takes that analogy of the natural, and he now applies it to the spiritual, because everything in the natural is a picture of something in the spiritual. Everything that happens to us physically is kind of like a a picture of what can happen to us spiritually. So also is the resurrection of the dead. And here's the differences between the natural and the spiritual laid out here in this passage of Scripture. It is sown in corruption and it is raised in incorruption. So what he's saying now, he's trying to talk about the resurrection. He's saying your body, which is a natural body, it will be sown, it will die and it, it, because it's corrupted, because it's been cursed under, the, under God. He's saying you can't live forever. This body is going to die. It will be sown into the ground as a natural body. A fleshly body will die, but it will be raised as an incorruptible body. And then he says, it will be sown in dishonor and raised in glory. So you're going to get a new body, a resurrected body. That's not like the old body. The old body is temporal. The other one is eternal. It's immortal. It goes on. It is a sign in weakness and it's going to be raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it'll be raised a spiritual body. And then he says these words, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And that's what I want to focus on today. The fact that there is a spiritual body and creation speaks to us about the spiritual. The natural speaks about the supernatural. So it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Now the word quickening there is an interesting word. It's to produce a life, to beget, to bear, living young, to cause, to live, to make alive, to give life, about spiritual power to arouse and invigorate. Jesus is a a living spirit who arouses and invigorates us, to restores us to life. He gives increase of life to us. It's about the spirit quickening us. It's about God actually working in our lives to bring us into our new place spiritually. You know, death and life are all part of this life. Birth is part of this life. But death and life, I, we talked. death is a picture of the second death, which talks about hell. Birth is a picture of the first birth or the second birth, which is the birth again or being born again of the Spirit of God. Everything in the natural is a picture of something in the spiritual. In John chapter 4, verses 24, it says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit from whence all things came. He came not as a natural God. He came as spiritual God. He is spirit and we worship him in spirit and truth. And God is spirit and God is creator. And in the Christian worldview of biology, we see creator in the things that are made. Everything that is made is, a, is somehow bearing the fingerprints of God. It isn't God. To say that everything that is created is God is pantheism. That's what people who worship uh, Mother Nature, who go into the woods and look and they hug trees and kiss trees and want to be one with the universe and one with Mother Nature, they're called pantheists. They believe that God is the object in which we are we're all little bits of God, you know? So I'm a little bit of God and that ant's a little bit of God. It flows into a lot of philosophies like Hinduism believes that that's all part of God, you know? So every living thing is precious and sacred because it's all part of God and God is in everything, you know? And while I believe that God is omniscient and, and omnipresent and around everything, he is not that tree that stands in the backyard. 
God is not the tree that sits in the backyard. The tree will tell you and speak to you about God and God's creative power, but he is not the tree. God is God and God is spirit. So creation is a product of the eternal. Romans chapter 18, chapter 1 verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and godliness, godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, about God, because God has made it plain to them. Paul is telling us there in Romans that God is angry about those who look at creation, look at the things of God, and then dis, disregard it, I suppose, and, and put it aside and say, well, I mean, it looks like something that I should be thinking about God, but I'm just going to put it away and I'm going to, I'm going to do wickedness instead. And I'm going to suppress the truth. I'm not going to believe what, what, what I can see from the, the created order. I'm just going to suppress the truth and I'm going to believe that, you know, I can do whatever I like. And God says, I'm, I'm angry about that. I'm going to express my wrath on you with that. He says, everything that you need to know about me can be seen clearly from the things that created. And then in verse 20 he says, And for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So there is more out there that you're looking at that you really can't see that's speaking to you. If you took some time to get out of your video games, to get away from your TV, to get out of your books that you're reading and step into, the, into a, a place where you could just stop and, and reflect and think about what God is, you would probably get a little bit of a revelation of God coming to you. And if you stayed there long enough, and meditated hard enough and thought about what you were looking at and some of the things that were underlining in those things and asked God to show you something of himself to you, you'd come back with something that's just absolutely amazing. We, we, we want to praise God, don't we? We all want to praise God. You know, everybody says, but what are you going to praise God for? The guy called Juan Carlos Ortiz, years and years ago, he had a church of around about, probably about six or 700 in, in, in South, South America. And he closed the church down and he started, because he, he said they're all baby Christians. He said the church of 600, 700 people were baby Christians, so he closed it down and he started his little home groups with people in the church and he started to build up a church over a period of time. But as he was doing that, he'd take the church outside of the church walls. When he started the church up in a couple of years, it had grown to about four times the size of it was when he closed it down. But one of the thing, secret things that he did is he went out there and he said, I want you to praise God now. Because they would sit there and they'd close their eyes, praise God, praise God, praise God, hallelujah, 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 praise God, praise God, praise God. And they'd do it to music, you know. And so they're thinking they're praising God. And he said, don't praise God with your eyes closed. Open your eyes, go out and say, praise God for. So they would walk outside and they'd look at the, praise God for that lovely tree. And then God would start to talk to them about it what he cared and what he thought about. And, and, and so they had something to praise God about. They could say, you know, God shows that he cares for us because he provides trees with fruit on it for us, you know. Well, I'm going to praise God for his abundant supply, his providence, the care that he has for us because that's what I can see when I look at that banana tree. I don't see any other reason for it to have bananas apart from the fact that God made it just for us to eat bananas. He individually wrapped those bananas and put them in place so that we could eat them. We could take them one at a time and eat them. Too many for us to have by one person can't eat a whole bunch of bananas. So we have to share this bunch with other people. So, you know, what a wonderful... Well, I'm just going to sit down in the backyard, look at a banana tree, and I'm going to 
praise God for his abundant supply. Why? Because I've got something now to praise God for because I'm looking at it with my eyes. Jesus didn't say, close your eyes. He said, watch and pray. I thought we, we, we lose that, don't we? <laughs> we close our eyes and we shut the, shut the doors and try and get ourselves. You know, take some time. And look at what God has done. Paul tells us that nature speaks about God's eternal power and his divine nature. It tells us that. He said, in all creation we see the fingerprints of our creative father. We see intelligent, purposeful design. Jesus used creation to show us things that were spiritual. He used it so he could see something about his nature and his, in, in his power. And Jesus used creation to show us something of God so that we could look and say, look at this. What do you see from God about that? You see a season. What season is that? It's autumn. What's happening in autumn time? What does that speak to you about life? Maybe you're in the autumn of your life. Maybe God has some things that he wants you to know. The autumn of your life is the most fruitful time of your life because most of the fruits are on the trees in the autumn time. It's the autumn time when the apples are sitting on the tree and getting ripe to eat. Not the springtime, but the autumn time. The springtime is when the blooms are out. At the autumn time, the fruit is ready to eat. Now we could think about that. Look at look at that. This is, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Look at the colours that are there. You know how many colours of orange and yellow can you see there? Well, that's just. And what time is this? And you reflect about that. God has some things He wants to tell you about Himself, His, his divine nature, and His power, just from just gazing at that. And Jesus said, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world, he says in Matthew chapter 13. He says, I'm going to give you parables. I'm going to take something from nature. I'm going to put it up there and put it in front of you. And I'm going to show you things that have been hidden from the foundation of the world. That's what he said he'd do. Jesus used natural things, taking us from what we know, showing us something that we don't know. He took very simple things and said, see this. Now think this, taking us from what we know to something that we don't know. He defines the unknown by using the known. He illustrates from the natural to display the spiritual or the supernatural, from the temporal to explain the eternal, from the physical to show us the spiritual. Jesus taught by use of comparisons. He said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can I use for it? It is like the mustard seed. And so he began to draw from life things. He said things like, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, but they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? So he's actually used something like a raven or a crow in Australia to actually show us something. He says, Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yes, and I tell you, even Sol- not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. We, we look at uh, fashion and it's got to be labelled for us. you know. We, and, and we've been conned so much by advertisers that we're not really wearing a shirt until it's got the brand name on the shirt. And we're, so we actually pay to do the advertising for the people who have got the brand. You know, got to wear rip curl. You know, it's got to be rip curl because I'm cool if I'm wearing it. We've been mushed in our heads to think that the shirt that's got rip curl on it is, is actually better than a shirt that has got no brand on it. And listen, that may be a whole lot of nonsense. It may be a whole lot of nonsense, but you just suck it in because you believe what the TV tells you is true. He says, consider these things. Consider. This is the word consider. It says to perceive, remark, observe, 
understand. It says to consider attentively, fix one's eyes upon or a mind upon. So that's the word consider. When Jesus says consider, he says, slow down, stop. Now try and think about this a little bit. Pause a bit. Slow down. Don't be so busy. Slow down and think about what you might be seeing in front of you. Isn't it a shame that it's only old people that do that? You know, we, we spend our whole life rush, 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 rushing. And when we get old, we stop and reflect. And you know what happens with old people who stop and reflect who spent the whole life rushing? Their lives are full of regret. They didn't slow down earlier and reflect. It's like, why? Why? Why do we do this? Why are we so locked in when there's so much of God's splendor around us, so much of his nature and character before us? Why don't we slow down and take a walk in the garden? Why do we rush so much? Why don't we go to the beach and think about what we're seeing in front of us and muse about our God and our Father? He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 28, he says, And why do you not worry about clothes? And then he uses the word observe. This is a word to learn. It actually is a strengthened verb to learn. It's katamantheno. The word is mantheno, but then it's strengthened with the word kata at the front of the Greek. And it intensifies. It says, Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not labor or spin. So he's used two words now. He says, Consider. And then he's used the word observe. Two different words. What is this one? It says to learn thoroughly, examine carefully, to consider well. So what he's actually actually asking you to do is he says, go to the lily and to look at the lily. Pick it up and intently look at it and ask the question, why? The word methet is the word for disciple in the Greek. It means one who asks the question, why? If you go and look at the, the root words, there are all these meanings of it. And the last word is the word why. A disciple is a person who asks why. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you ask why. And why would that be important? Because why is the question that you ask if you want to know, if you want to learn. It's the question that you ask if you want to extend something inside of you. Why is this so, said the man as he poured two cups of milk into a bar of chocolate. You know, we saw that on the TV. Why is this so? What was the name of that guy? Yeah, that was the guy. Why is this so? He asked that question. He asked that question. Why? Because that's the question that, you know what? Why don't you sit down in front of a little video game? You don't have to ask the question why anymore. Just get it absorbed. Why don't you sit down in front of a TV and watch the program and just don't have to ask the question why. Just sit there and get absorbed. You know, get entertained, get just washed away. Don't ever use the grey matter that God gave you because you just might come to the light. You might learn something about God. Solomon uses this all, all the time. And if you go through Solomon, he, you know, I, I started to write down pictures that Solomon had. He said, look, consider the rooster. He says, consider the badger, consider the, the ant, consider the grasshopper. And I, and I got like, you know, I thought, how many? You know, he said all the time, he just thought, look at this, look at the lizard. It sits in the palace. I thought, what's he saying? Solomon, the wisest man, had plenty of time on his hands. He kept on checking things out. And if you read Ecclesiastes, he said at the beginning, he says, I searched everything out as so I could know everything. He says, I looked at everything I could look at and I came to wisdom. And then he said, it's all meaningless. 
<laughs> After finding it all, he lost his faith because of the women in his life. Terrible, hey? Anyway, we won't go there. To go to the end, you sluggard. <laughs> we haven't got time. We won't finish by 10.30 if we do that. He said, go to the end, you sluggard. Consider the ways and be wise. They, were, they weren't of God. These women were of other religions. And he included them into his faith. And that's where he lost it. He, he took God off his throne and put other gods around him. And there he lost his purpose. He got all that wisdom from God was quite foolish in the end. It wasn't the women. It was their faith, their beliefs that he tolerated. That was wrong. Not about bashing women. I thought I had to clear that up, you know. Wise move. Eh? <laughs> the word here in the Greek, Hebrew is, is consider, to see, to look at, inspect, perceive and consider. So you see Solomon, he's looking over an ant nest. How many of you were at the park the other day and there was an ant nest in the corner? Who, who saw the ant nest? Well, you saw that, Ruth, didn't you? Because you, you yelled over, hey, Mark, there's an ant nest here in the corner. And it was a, an ant pile of, you know, because they, they, they bring out all the gravel and stones. So it's, it's almost like... You've got a, a bag of grain or, or stones that have all been selected to, are all exactly the same size, all piled up on the top of the ground because they're just the size that an ant can lift. Can't lift anything bigger than that, can't lift anything smaller. So they're all the same. It's like you can scoop that up, they're all graded to the same size. Here it is, a big ant nest, and there's ants crawling all over it, and we're thinking, you know, we might tie Ruth onto it. And, you know, or something. Was that what you were thinking, Ruth, or did you have some other idea? A meat ant, put something there, make sure that some... But there they are. So you can, see, you can see Solomon, he's looking down at the ant like this and he's thinking. Speak to me, ant. Tell me something about the divine nature. Tell me something about God. Tell me something about life. And he comes up with wisdom. And he says, you ought to be like an ant. Some, something of God. You see something there because he's spent the time to consider well, you might be like me. There's ants here. Get the blue, the, the spray out. Shh, no ants anymore. No time to reflect. Become aware of conscious. Perceive. It's the word that means to become aware of something. Become conscious. Try to understand it. Become. Use your senses. Look at them. What senses do we have? Tell me the senses that we have. Taste, sight, smell, hearing, touch. Take, your, take your, your senses. Pick up the cockroach. Smell the cockroach. <laughs> if you're hungry, eat the, <laughs> the cockroach. Explore. Do you know what a cockroach feels like? Do you know what it feels like when it's crushed? Yeah. It's good. It's gluey. How gluey is the, the guts of a cockroach? Have you ever tried to touch the guts of a cockroach? It's really tacky. It's really, it's really sticky. You could stick paper together with that. There might be a product we could sell called cockroach glug. <laughs> it takes time to think about those things. What is God going to be speaking to you through those things? Think about them. These are all actions of reflective thought and meditation. This is what we are considering God's creation and majesty by the things that he has made. Christian biology presents itself to us as being an opportunity for us to get to know God better through the things that he has made. King David did this. He used the Psalms to do this. And if you go through the Psalms, you, you see lots of Psalms that actually speak about uh, um, you know, things that he's seen. I mean, one of the most uh, amazing Psalms is the Lord's Prayer or, or the, uh, the, the, 
sorry, Psalm 23 is the, the um, what's that one called? The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, yeah, I shall not. And so you know that David spent a lot of time in the field as a boy. He played his little harp. He sat on a rock and he sang to the sheep. He was the shepherd. He looked after the sheep. Quite a boring job, really. You'd have to get yourself mentally tuned up for that sort of job because you, I mean, have you ever thought about what it would be like to be a person who holds one of those lollipop stands on a street sign, you know? You know, stop and go, stands there all day in the hot sun, stop, go, stop, go, standing there until his eight hours is up and then he walks. Have you ever thought you wanted a job? Well, I reckon being a shepherd would probably be as boring as that. Sit there, watch the sheep, and the sheep are talking to you. What do the sheep say when they're talking? Barely anything. So, you know, uh, what do they do? Head down, chew. Lay down, sit down. Great. I mean, what are you going to do with yourself? Dad expects me to be out here, what, nine, ten hours of the day? What am I going to do? No, no video games to play. What am I going to do? I'm going to sit and I'm going to think, I'm going to reflect. I'm going to think about God. I'm going to start thinking about God. Oh, oh look, this is like God. I'm like God to these sheep. These sheep are dependent on me. I protect them from the wolf and the, and the bear. I lead them on to new pasture. I take them beside still waters. I'm going to reflect and I'm going to write a song about that. I'm going to write a song about the majestic nature of the shepherd heart of God because I took some time to stop and to think about the sheep that are chewing the cud in front of me. So he wrote Psalm 23. Think about it. This came out of natural life. It tells us something about the provision of God for us. Of course, it's Psalm 29, and Psalm 29 is a, an incredible psalm. He talks about, if you read it, he's obviously, David's sitting there and there's a storm coming over. And he's like, you know, when you see a storm coming over, there's thunder and there's lightning, there's wind blowing. There's... So you read words like, the voice of the Lord comes with the storm. The glory of God thunders. The voice of the Lord breaks cedars down. What's that? He's just seen lightning strike. And a fallen tree comes down. Boom! Like that. He says, wow! And then he's not saying, wow, I'm scared. He's saying, this is God in his majesty in front of me. I'm seeing something of the divine power of God being displayed in front of me. And he writes a song and he sings a song about God. And he's not fearful of this God. He says at the end of the song, the Lord gives peace in the storm. Right in the midst of it because he's focused on, on God and knows God loves him. He sees all the power of God worked out in front of him. He's not scared. He's at peace because God is in the storm. You take um, Psalm 19. We read this last couple of weeks ago. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies is a result of his handiwork. The daylight reveals God's creative power and the night shows his creative plan. We look at the, the heavens and I think, Emily, you were saying, you know, there's nothing like um, the country where you see uh, an array of stars. You know, in the city lights, you uh, sort of block out the stars, but you go into, deep into the country and you look up into the stars and there they are spilling out in front of you. Uh, an incredible array of God's greatness in front of you. It's showing you just how big and how majestic our God is in terms of what he's done and what he's created. And in Psalm verse 8, all of this reflective looking at God's creation makes him reflective about himself. And Paul 
uh, uh, David says, you know, who am I? See, can you see the footprint in this woman's belly? Look at it. A little foot on the inside of this woman pressing out through her skin. David looks at the majestic nature of God through the storm and through all the things that he sees and he thinks, who am I that you would be considering me? Where do I fit in the big scheme of things? And he looks at himself. What is the purpose of man? Why are you mindful of him? What part do we play? And so this reflection then starts to, to, to make him think about himself. And, what should, you know, and I'm glad he did because the amazing thing is you and I can sit down and you can read the songs he wrote today from the reflections that he had Hundreds of years ago. Why? Because God illumined his mind. In the quietness of the the reflection and the meditation, God illumined his mind and said, let me show you something on myself. He got so captivated by what he saw of God, he wrote it down and wrote a song. He, He taught that song to others and others sang that song and they wrote it down in a book of Psalms, which is a book of songs. And they wrote those songs down and we sing those songs today. Why? Because he was able to see something of God. You know, there's no difference with David and you. What do you think? David was somehow a, a, a literal genius or something? He had a better brain than yours? I mean, you're all created with the same grey matter. It's What are you using it for, you know? You can use your grey matter to, to get to the next level on that silly game or you, or you can use your grey matter to search out buying and selling and whatever you're doing or you can use your grey matter to really become quite, quite a theologian, quite a philosopher, a person who's thinking about the things of God. What are you using your grey matter for? Well, what's it for? Why did God give it to you for? Take some time to see the Creator. Observe to remind yourself of God. Consider to motivate yourself to worship God. Meditate to understand His role in your life. Reflect to seek forgiveness from Him when you've done the wrong thing. Don't just harden up your heart if you've done the wrong thing and you know that this, your conscience is not good. Spend some time and go outside in the bush and say, look, God, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I stuffed up. I want you to forgive me. I'm sorry for stuffing up. Take some time. Don't fill your life with busyness so that you can't be real with yourself. Slow down and look. Study to learn about God. Walk in the garden and have some fellowship with him. You know, when you, it's interesting. Adam and Eve were in the garden, tending the garden. And in the evening, the Lord would come and walk with them through the garden. They would commune with each other in the garden. You don't have a garden? Go to a park. Don't have a park? Go with Cheryl and David on a bushwalk. When you get there and you've got to the place that you've walked like mad to get to, slow down and reflect a little bit. Think about the things that you've seen. And ask yourself, God... Speak to me in the middle of the bush here. Talk to me about those mosquitoes. Talk to me about the red belly black that we walked past. Talk to me about the deer with the antlers on that was in the park. Talk to me about the things that you're showing me. I want to hear you, God. You know what God says? I've so wanted to talk to you. I so wanted to communicate to you. 
that I left my fingerprints on everything I made so that you would ask, why is this so? So that you would discover more of me. Now, biology is one thing. We can talk about the creation and we can get ourselves all filled with information about how we can debunk those who talk about evolution. That's not hard, you know, because evolution is very shaky. There's a way, way more evidence and there's, a, there's, there's always um, things coming. I think there's some meetings coming up. You can talk to Warwick about those on, in Kenmore Baptist where there's some meetings coming up where some guys are going to refute some of those things. It's not hard to refute evolution. Evolution is very, very shaky. Spontaneous generation, life from nothing, is very, very shaky. You can't establish that in any empirical way. There's no fossil evidence for it from the change between species. We could go and talk about all that information. It doesn't make you any wiser or any smarter. Go out into the bush and have a look at what God's created and, and ask him, God, speak to me, and he will do that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus is using creation to show you something about God. What are you doing this week? What are you going to do this week? Turn the tally on and listen to the news, the 6 o'clock news. You know you'll be better off because you do that. You'll find out how many people died and how they got shot in, in eight-mile planes and were roach-tail. You'll find out how much is going on and how much is going bad. you listen to the rot that comes out of the mouth of our politicians. You fill your life up with it, and in the end, you'll feel so close to God. I'm being facetious. Spend some time. Turn the tally off at 6 o'clock and watch the sun go down. You can catch up with the the fact that they've changed political leaders of the Greens Party. You can catch up sometime later. It won't make much of a difference for you. But watch the sun go down and watch the colours that God splashes along the, the horizon as he paints every sunset individually for you just to watch. And determined to get up early in the morning and watch the sun rise and see the same thing happen again as God creates a special picture just for you on the horizon so that he can talk to you in a special way. Think about that. His fingerprints are on everything that he has made. And he wants so much to commune with you, to walk with you, to talk with you, to let you know that he's in control of all things. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to slow down, to reflect, to think about yourself and your nature. Lord, everything that is created has your fingerprints on it. Lord, we see an, an incredible design. We see a purpose. We see intelligence, Father, beyond our um, ability to even understand. We look at the human body. We look at the functions of the human body. And we know that even the smartest surgeons and neurosurgeons don't understand how it works. Father, that's because you created all things. And you are infinitely wise, infinitely knowledgeable, infinitely marvelous in all your ways. Lord, help us to learn about you more. Help us to praise you better. Help us to grow in our understanding of you just by spending time to reflect, Lord Jesus, on the things that you've made. Help us to slow down in this madness, Father. Help us to become more like you, Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.